Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. So something I want to correct that I said last time incorrectly, um, we talked about this next to last line, Or Chadash Al Tzion Ta'ir V'niz Kechulanu Meiralio Ro, which talks about the future light, which is the time of the Mashiach and redemption. And the we talked about the disagreement about whether that line belongs there or not whether or not it's off topic. And we said, we looked very closely at this disagreement that Rav Amram and Rav Saadia Gaon do not include it in their Sidur. And Rav Saadia actually says, and for those who say this line, you're totally wrong and you shouldn't say it, okay? Um, and then we saw Rav Shrira Gaon, who comes after Saadia, says Saad is wrong, I don't know what he's talking about. We all say this line. Everyone remember that from last time? So there's a machloket or disagreement among the Geonim as to whether you say that line or not. And what I said was Saadia's opinion was rejected and this did not become the halakha. That's the part that I misstated. Um, so I want to I want to state it correctly. In the Ashkenazi world Sa'adya's opinion was rejected. And so, so in Ashkenazic Sidurim, we say, Or Chadash Al Tzion Ta'ir. In other words, we accept the opinion of Rav Shriragaon, who says, I don't know what Sa'adya is talking about, he's wrong. Whereas Sephardi Sidurim, or more precisely, Mizrahi Sidurim, accept Sa'adya's opinion, which is also echoed by Maimonides. And then in the communities which do, do which rule halachically according to Maimonides, this line is not said; it's omitted. So I looked in, um, for example, I have a Yemenite sidur and a Moroccan sidur, and they both do not have the line or Hadash al Tzion Ta'ir. Persian, I don't know if anyone has a Persian sidur; they should take a look at it, or just ask your Persian neighbor next time you bump into them when you're walking up and down the block. Your, your Persian neighbor who's a regular davener will know the answer off the top of their head. I actually don't know the answer, right? So there, the communities who rule according to Rambam, halachically, which is generally the Judeo-Arab communities, which we call Edot HaMizrach, they do not have this line, as far as I know, whereas Ashkenazi communities do have the line. So I misspoke last time when I said uh, Sadia's opinion was rejected. It was rejected by Ashkenazim, but not by Sephardim. But I mean, they, they, end with the, they end with the with the bracha, Yosea Marot, right? Yes, everyone does. It's only, but the disagreement is only about the line, or chadash al tzion ta'ir v'nizkech ulanu me'rali oro. That's it, right? Cause a new light to shine upon Zion. May we all merit to be in its light. The line which clearly refers to the future and is a uh, uh, I don't want to say veiled, that's, that's too strong a word, but is a indirect way of talking about redemption using the metaphor of light. That's the only line about which there is disagreement, right? So that is, yes. So in other words, Sephardim say, Ka'amur la'ose orim gedolim ki le'olam chasto, baruch Hashem yotzer ha'miorot. Does that make that clear? Does that clarify? Okay. Any other point about that? Because then I want to move on to what I promised we talk about today. 
So I just want to be clear about that. And someone, I'd like to give it to someone as an assignment. You know, when you, when you bump into a Persian who's a regular davener, ask them if they say this line in their Persian sidur or not. I don't, know, I don't know if the Persian community does halacha according to Rambam or not. I simply don't know the answer to that. Okay. So what we said we'd talk about this time, which I want to come back to, I held Larry off. Larry, you had two ways, two parts of your question. Could you... Do you remember them well enough to restate them? Yeah, there were two parts I'm trying to think of. Okay, I remember them, Larry. Now I remember them. Part one was, part one was, and I'm going stri- to I'm going to state it more um, grossly and less subtly and less articulately than you did. Right? Question one was, like, who decides? What does this mean? We're supposed to or we're not supposed to? And can I just decide for myself? That was question one, or part one. Um, Part two was, so part one was, uh, who decides? Can I decide? And part two was, well, what if I don't, uh, what if this thing about the the mystical thing, about the angels, again, I'm reframing what you said, Larry. You said, I'm uncomfortable. That was your phrasing. I don't know what you meant by that. And I'm going to rephrase it as, what if this mystical thing about the angels, the sun, moon, and the stars, what if it just doesn't speak to me? Okay, uh, what if it's just not meaningful to me? Or what if I think, what if I want to accept the position that Saadia said, which is when I daven alone, uh, I don't do that mystical thing. So for a variety of reasons, you could just, you could say, I don't want to say that. Okay, Larry, is that fair enough statement of question two? Pardon? Yeah. Okay, good. You, you say it well. Okay. So question one, I just want to say, which is a big, very broad meta question. It's not only about this passage. It applies to a lot of things. But let's just confine it to the sidur, okay? Is the question of who decides? Who decides? Who has the authority to decide? So I don't want to answer that question. I just want to say that the answer to that is going to depend on your ideology of how Jewish practice gets decided. So officially, orthodoxy and officially the conservative movement are halachic movements, and halacha has a process of getting decided. It is decided by halachic authorities. Now, in our movement, in the conservative movement, when there's a new sidur published, there's a committee that works on it. And if there are halachic questions like, we're going to leave out the phrase Ishe Yisrael in Ritzay, the sacrifices of Israel, because we don't believe in asking God to accept sacrifices, because we don't believe in sacrifices anymore. Okay, let's just say that. Um, that's decided on by a halachic process involving rabbis who are scholars who say yes or no, or there's above the line and below the line, which means you have options, right? So if you're a halachic movement, then officially you don't say, I'm sorry, you're not supposed to say, according to the official rules, you're not supposed to say, well, this is just what I choose to do. You're supposed to say, there's a halachic authority, and I follow that halachic authority, or I ask my local rabbi. Now, even within the Orthodox world, there are plenty of people who will say, 
privately, maybe not publicly, oh, I know the rabbi says we're supposed to do X, but I just do what I do and I don't care. They're not supposed to say that publicly because that's not part of the rules of the system. The rules of the system are halachic experts decide. Okay. Um, clearly, if if someone accepts on this, I am going to call it reform ideology. I'm just going to label it reform because it was the reform movement that most fully has articulated this. Okay. This ideology, the the reform movement has most fully articulated the ideology that Jews pick and choose among mitzvot that are meaningful to the individual. It is the individual who is sovereign. The individual is not beholden to rabbinic authority on which mitzvot speak to you and which don't. And so the community or the rabbi is not sovereign as an authority, the individual is the authority. Okay, um, how you as an ind- how you as a person decide this for yourself is your own business, right? So some people would say, "I want to ask the rabbi if it's okay." I'm going to give you an example of something you might ask when we get to part two of my of Larry's question. I, I give you an example of a question we would frame for a rabbi, the rabbi, whoever the rabbi is. Now, by the way, I teach this class um, and I happen to be a rabbi, but I'm not your rabbi and I don't consider myself to be a halachic decisor. I'm not a posek. I'm not a halachic decisor. I don't make psak halacha or rabbinic rulings for anyone. Um, You know, I can tell you what I do. I can tell you if what I think I do is correct according to one set of rules or incorrect according to another set of rules, and that doesn't mean that I would tell you what you should do. But I just want to point out that the question, Larry's question of, well, who decides, has a lot of answers already within the Jewish world. It's not like uh, uh, you're asking an important question, but many people have asked this question. The traditional answer has always been the rabbi of the community decides based on study. Okay, And nowadays in the conservative movement, we would probably say the rabbi of the community decides that we should say what is printed in our siddur because our movement has decided that this is official policy halachically. I think that's the official answer. Okay, And if you want to say, I don't care about that, I'm going to say what's meaningful to me, I'm not going to, I don't object to that personally. I just want to, uh, for intellectual purposes, I want people to be aware, to think about which rules of the halachic game are you choosing to be bound by. Does that make sense? Was that coherent? Now I'm going to give Larry the first chance to respond. I'm not going to. First of all, thank you. That was that was great. Um, I'm not going to respond. I'm only going to sort of ask you a, a secondary level, which is, I see for me a big distinction between my own davening, my personal davening, and on those relatively few occasions when I'm shliach sibor. There is one exception, and you're making me think about it right now, which is I have said Yisrael 
And what you're telling me is, I probably shouldn't be saying those words when I'm shaliyah tzibur, regardless of what I do privately. You, you should you should ask the Gabbai what the rules of your minion are. I, I mean, that's my that's my answer because in some settings it'll be well, you know, we have different sidurim and people will be familiar enough with it. It's okay to say if you want. In other settings, the answer might be no. Say the words that are printed on the page. So I said this in my. Um, I don't think I said it to you guys. I said it in my Elenu class at the Tikkun Lel Shavuot, which is that I was once at a library minion meeting 20 years ago where there's an argument about there was a Shliach Tzibur who said, Oseh Shalom Bim Ramav, Hu Yaseh Shalom Aleinu, Val Kol Yisrael, Ve'al Kol Yoshvei Tevel Ve'imru Amen. Right? Make peace on Israel and all the inhabitants of the world and say Amen, which you would think would be innocuous. In fact, there was an argument about it, and someone said, I'm not a scholar, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, it's confusing to me, I want the chazan to say the words that are printed on the page. Okay? So, I guess I want to say, I'm not the one who decides what are the parameters. So, for example, I daven in a couple of different minyanim. If I am dav, if I'm, if I'm leading minyan at Beth Am, I do not add Va'al Kol Yoshvei Tevel because I don't have the authority to do that. If I am leading a minion at Shtibol, which is another uh, minion that I go to, I can get away with that, and so I say that. And if I were leading at Ikar and I didn't add that, even though it's not printed in the book, people would say to me, what's the matter with you? Don't you believe in peace for all the people on the earth? Why are you so particularistic? So it depends on your congregation and your community and what the local rules are. I'm going to put that in quotes. Because sometimes it's halachic rules, sometimes it's just minion policy. Uh, And correct, and I will echo what Larry says, there's certainly things that I change in my own personal tefillah on my own personal authority, in my own framing, it's I don't care what the rabbi says, this is what I do, that I would not in, impose on the community by doing it as the chazan because I don't think that's right. Which is kind of what Larry's saying. I just said it in a much more wordy way than what Larry said. Larry said it more succinctly. Other thoughts about that or comments about that? Marshall. I just wanted to uh, remind everyone of a book you made reference to some while ago uh, it is by Rabbi Hoffman, Lawrence Hoffman from HUC it's called My People's Prayer Book Minhagami, Traditional Prayers and Modern Commentaries which covers the entire liturgy and specifically in this volume our good friend David Ellenson who's a former Chancellor and President of Hebrew Union College did a section called How the Modern Prayer Book Evolved so I think it bears directly on what you're saying right now to see that it's not that the prayer book itself was fluid throughout the ages. Yes, but but in so you can say sorry, when you ask a rabbi halachic authority, they're going to say to you there are all kinds of levels of answering that question. So, for example, to cha- halachically to change the words of something that says that starts Baruch Atah Hashem is halakhically much harder to do 
than to change wording of something that does not start by Rochat Hashem. And to change the wording of the first three blessings of the Amidah or the last three blessings is much harder to do halachically. It's a much higher standard than to change blessings in the middle of the Amidah. And to change the wording of Aleinu, which doesn't have Baruchat Hashem and is not statutory at all halachically, is much easier than changing parts of the, of the Sidur that have Baruchat Hashem. So I want to echo but correct what Marshall said. Okay, In a halachic system, I know this for a fact because I've asked I've asked Orthodox rabbis this question. In a halachic system, there are all kinds of rules, including you follow what the community does and you follow what your authoritative rabbi says. So in a halachic system, I want to change the wording of my sidur to something that was said a thousand years ago but hasn't been said since then is not something that's okay to do halachically. Your rabbi would say, we don't pick minhagim based on what someone did a thousand years ago. Okay? Minhag Amsterdam is to wait 72 minutes after fleshik before you eat milchik, instead of waiting three hours or six hours. Okay? And any halachic authority, any rabbi would say to you, but you can't just go ahead and decide to adopt Minhag Amsterdam if you're not a Dutch Jew just because you feel like it. That's not how the halachic system works. Now, I will disclose to you that I personally follow Minhag Amsterdam in terms of eating milchiks after fleshiks. I do so with no halachic authority, and if I were to ask, I have no doubt that I were, if I were to ask Rabbi Klickfeld for permission, he would say, I can't give you permission for that. You are Ashkenazi, and you should follow normative Ashkenazi practice, which is X. Unless you're a Dutch Jew, and that is truly your minhag, you can't just say, I've decided to adopt that minhag. It's not how the halachic system works. The individual is not sovereign over halachic practice. There's a halachic system of rabbinic authority, which is sovereign over the halachic practice. Sorry to go on it, go on about it at such length, but I just want people to understand that. I don't really care what you do or don't do. I just want you to understand. I just want you to understand. Thoughts? I just want to add one thing. Yep. And, and that is, and that is, I think uh, how you decide to approach, you know, eating milk and dairy is one thing, but I think how you job it is another because you're a part of a minion. Well, I think that okay. As someone, as someone who's been you know, traveling through many minyanim, particularly over the last couple of years, um, you know, I try very hard to make sure that I'm living within the code of the minyan in which I'm davening because the idea is that we are a community davening together. Which is a little different than what Larry said. So Larry said, and I echoed, I might distinguish between what I do with the cha- as a chazan in a minyan and what I say individually. Right. And Meyer, you're taking that step a step further and you're saying, no, even within a minyan, if I'm not leading davening, I might say, you know what, I'm part of this minion and I do what this minion does. Right. For example, there are issues about that having to do with tefillin on cholamoed. Okay? So there are different there are different there are different um, halachic positions about tefillin on cholamoed. And the halacha says that if you daven in a minion where they don't wear tefillin on cholamoed, but your practice is to wear tefillin on cholamoed, you're supposed to put your tefillin on privately at home. 
In other words, you are not supposed to conspicuously be doing a minhag that is different than the minhag of your minyan. That, uh, sorry, I'm not a halachic decisor, but that is my understanding of the halacha the last time I read on this issue. It's like, if that's your practice, then you put on tefillin at home. You should honor your practice, but you don't do it in the minyan where no one else is wearing tefillin. Okay? So you are part of, you, you function as part of the community, you behave like they do. Even if you have a different minhag, you do that other minhag privately. I know people who, who say Kaddish who mutter Al Kol Yoshvei Tevel under their breath, right? Because they believe you should add that. They don't want to impose that on the minion. They say it fast enough so they can answer Amen at this, everyone can answer Amen at the same place. You don't hear that they finished three seconds later. Okay, um, it's sort of I don't impose that on the community. All right, all that was kind of a conversation stopper. I'm going to take another few minutes to talk about Larry's question number two, which is so if we accept Larry's premise, Larry's suggested premise number one, which is uh, sorry, I'm going to take it back. I'm not going to impute it to Larry because I might be putting words in his mouth. If we accept the premise of it doesn't matter to me what the Siddur says and what the halachic things it says, I want to daven in a way that's meaningful to me, okay? If one took that point of view and one said all of this business about the heavenly bodies being angels and they're God's servants, it just doesn't speak to me, all right? Um, what could, what might one do? So I want to say the following, which is not necessarily what Larry had in mind. Um, If you said, I want to, I accept and I want to respect the structure of the Siddur as making sense, okay, but I don't want to say words that are not meaningful to me. I want to daven in a way that's meaningful to me. How would I honor both of those things? I would say, or I might suggest to someone, and I would say, I'm not your halachic authority, but given the way you're framing it, here's what I might suggest to do. You might say, page 96 or page 30, Baruch Ata Hashem Elokeinu Melech Olam, Yotzer Or Uvorei Choshech Oseh Shalom Uvorei Hakol, and then I might say something either of my own composing or some nature poem by Mary Oliver. She writes, she's the poet who writes all these poems that's somehow about Nature, God as we find. So I would say something about how we find God's presence in nature because that's what the bracha is about. Okay? Um, and then I would say, Ka'amur lo'osah ha'mechadesh. I'd go to skip to the bottom of page 31 or the middle of page 98. And I would say like the last, I don't know, four sentences. Ha'mechadesh betuvo b'chol yom tamid ma'asev reshit. Or something like that. I catch up there. In other words, I would say this bracha is framed as a bracha about God's presence in nature. Okay? The opening and the closing words are about how we see that in the light. This whole long thing in the middle about 
the planets or God's servant and do his bidding and say, Kadosh, 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 doesn't exactly speak to me in a meaningful way. And so I'm going to read a poem about the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees or whatever. Okay. Now, there are mornings, I sort of alluded to this, when I daven alone in my garden, when I'm, I am, now, here's what I want to say. I'm not a country boy. I'm from Queens. Okay. So the sun rose you know, and we, we measure all time by the sun, the moon, and the stars to a city boy who lives in the modern era of, of electricity. That's not what speaks to me exactly. So there are mornings when I am in my garden and I, heard, I hear the birds tweeting and I, see the, I hear the rustling of the wind in the leaves and I think to myself, oh, those are Hashem's servants praising God now. I don't think about the sun praising God. I think about the birds twittering is their way of praising God and the leaves rustling is their way of praising God. And to me, that speaks more deeply than sun, moon, and stars. If I want to say nature inaudibly has its own non-language way of praising God, which I think is what the whole middle part of the bracha is, right? And to have a moment to meditate on the, the amazingness of the amazingness of the natural universe as a uh, signpost, like with an arrow, pointing you towards God, right? That's the, that's the purpose of the, the first bracha. The purpose of the first bracha of Shema is the amazingness of the universe is a signpost which points us to God. Look at nature. It's a signpost to God. Think about nature. It's a way to get you to think about God's manifold amazingness in the universe. That's what this stuff is like, you know, when we say, um, How many, how manifold are your works, Hashem? They are made with incredible wisdom. So we look at, you know, bugs creeping and, and fruit budding, and it's supposed to make us say, wow, the universe is such an amazing place. God is such an amazing creator. That's, that's the overall purpose of this bracha. So I would say, not as your posek, not as your halachic decisor, but if you said to me, I have my own way of articulating that, that doesn't have anything to do with the sun, moon, and the stars, being God's servants, and I would rather say my own way of articulating that. Is that okay, Avi? I would say, oh, that's okay. It would make me happy. It would make me happier if you also said the Baruch Hashem at the beginning and at the end, because then you're respecting the literary conceptual framework of the unit. Of the unit. And I accept that the whole middle of the unit is just a long essay that was evolved by the group mind over centuries. And if it doesn't speak to your mind and you want to have something else that speaks to your mind, then that's fine with me. Not as a rabbinic decisor, but as your friend. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.